Oscar, Oscar Poker. Cotton up to these people, 
that he will be seen by the right, by the loony right, as not you know favorable to business, hmm. and therefore uh, you know a socialistic or anti-capitalistic. It's just insane out there, mm. and I, I really don't know how. I, I would love to get a real democratic president. And if I if someone came up and could had the strength, I would vote for that person rather than Obama uh, in November because he is not um, standing up to these mm. guys. And, um, yeah. yeah, but how do you get elected? How do you get elected without those powers that put you there? It's sort of like the Oscar race in a funny way. The Oscar race has, you know, all the studios and publicists involved in between the movie and the Oscar voting. Yeah. The Oscar voting is is almost completely controlled by the publicists. And you know, when you're writing about the Oscar race, you're you're you might start out idealistically saying, "I'm never going to listen to a publicist ever. I'm not going to follow spin. I'm not going to do what they tell me to do. I'm going to think for myself." You know, but sooner or later, you do see how the game is played. You know, um, and it is really hard for a movie, just a movie, to get into the Oscar race and get voted on without those powerful publicists behind it. And it's really the same with elected officials, right? I mean, aren't these corporations and the backers the ones that get them in office in the first place? So then they have yeah. to they have to service them once they get in office. They can't just turn their backs, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a uh, Philip Noyes movie that never got made called The Twenty Eighth Amendment. It's basically a, they have a, a, um, a president who thinks the way I tried to just express a few minutes ago. And he is told that you are not president. Now that you're in the office, let's just get things straight here. Mm. You are not anything other than a titular figurehead. You know, we run it. You do not run it. You know, it was basically it, it literalized what you were just saying. And it was a kind of a thriller about how uh, the head of the Secret Service and the president and some others literally tried to wrest control of the country back from these evil fucks who are, you know, in, in actuality running our country today. Mm. Yeah. And this is not this is not wild leftist hyperbole. It's the facts. It's the absolute facts. And um, most people don't want to know about it, and they just want their front chair, front, front lawns and their sprinklers and their lawn chairs and their coolers. And, you know, most people don't care. So what mm. are they going to do? They that's don't why care. We're going down. That's, that's why we're going. That's why the country is failing, and it will continue to fail because the education levels are not anywhere near what they need to be. Um, the, 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 the crazy right believes in the, f- the freedom of consumption, whatever they want to do, you know, uh, den- global warming, denying everything else. And there are so, so many hundreds of thousands of millions, I don't know how many people, but, you know, most people do not care that much. They know well, something's bad. They know something stinks in Denmark, but they're not willing to, to you know, live differently or... Not enough. I get many no, I mean, it'll. if you take a trip like I just did to Yosemite, it'll really open your eyes to a lot of things. The first thing was that I noticed was driving up the uh, 99. Um, every single town had almost the exact same pattern of chain stores. Uh-huh. They all had the same, you know, Office Depot and Subway and Starbucks. And <clears throat> it was uniformly the same all the way up. Like, yeah. All the old, you know, the original restaurants by, you know, local business owners were have been put out of business by these Uh chains. Uh And, um, you know, you just look at it and to me, it just looks like a wasteland because what are we if if we're all the same? I mean, it's in capitalism and free enterprise supposed to create diversity in the marketplace, but it's not really creating diversity. It's creating 
this, you know, um, sameness, which is yeah. really frightening. Um, and then you get to Yosemite and it's everybody sort of living out their little piece of the American dream with their huge, you know, uh, Winnebago's, their, their trailer tractor, you know, their, their, um, camper trailers and, um, you know, their we, I, ourselves included, I didn't have, we just had tents, but we still had, you know, boxes of food and trash we're creating and, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's just trying to have their, live out their little American dream, you know, as described to them by the advertisers and, and mm-hmm. our culture, you know, this is how you're supposed to be happy. This is what, and you know, Yosemite's beautiful. It, li- it absolutely lives up to the hype. It's one of the most beautiful places that you can go. Um, it's just funny the way Americans are. They just kind of go by what they're supposed to do, drive these big trucks, you know, because if they don't, their their freedom, quote unquote, you know, <laughs> is being taken away. You know, drag along these huge um, camper trailers so that they can take their whole house with them when they camp, kitchen, bathroom, everything, you know, everything, even yeah. a TV if they want it, maybe even a dishwasher. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I don't know for sure. But, you know, and then and then this is sort of a rambling um, thought, but it, it eventually I found my way to The New York Times and I clicked on it on my iPad, which I brought with me and I could use up there. Uh-huh. And boy, it really did seem like a world away. You know, it's sort of the the stuff the New York Times is talking about, and um, uh, everything what, on the what front page. A world page. away again. A world away, meaning there is such a huge disconnect between what I consider to be the American experience and the New York Times. You know, like, and I wonder if that means that that world really is elitist and it is growing smaller and smaller instead of bigger and bigger. You know, and that the 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 kind of you know just general. Uh, laziness of thought that happens out there in America. I mean, do we sound like horrible snobs or what? <laughs> I don't know. Never you mind. Ever, uh, you know, one one uh, one time I had some plastic uh, dishes. I don't know why we didn't have pa- paper plates. Maybe because I was thinking that it'd be nice not to create more paper. But I remember actually uh, kneeling down near a brook, a stream, when I was camping with the kids and uh, and scooping up water and heating it and washing plates and dishes with hot water, you know. I just thought it was the, one of the most delicious things I've ever done uh, in terms of, like, being an outdoorsman and not, you know, having mm-hmm. it all inside my big super camper. I just, there should be a, uh, you know, this is, we sound like sanctimonious. <laughs> we really do. We sound horrible. We're just going to say, you know, shut the hell up. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like that. Well, we want our, our dish. We want our flat screen, 42-inch <laughs> plasma. Our Blu-rays, we want our, um, you know, PlayStation threes, everything. This is how we like it. We're Americans. We're entitled. This is yeah. The that has, uh, and it's hard not to look at Independence Day, the Fourth of July, which is supposed to have celebrated our independence from England, and to see kind of how far we've come, you know, and what we are. It's depressing. I don't know anybody that can look at it and say it's not depressing. Although, I guess you can say like Joe Lydon said on Twitter, you know, he's a son of an immigrant and he writes about movies for a living and, you know, what a great life he has and he's so grateful for it. I mean, we all really should just, that's the truth of it. I mean, you should be grateful that you have this freedom. It's just that what we choose to do with it isn't exactly noble, perhaps. Uh, I feel, uh, I will never not feel blessed to have uh, the life that I have, and then I think we all feel pretty good about what this country enables you to do, and I think there's, uh, it's not a blanket condemnation of the country, it's, as you just say, it's what we're doing with the freedoms and the, the, the essential laziness and the, uh, the lack of curiosity, the lack of engagement, uh, you know, the, the 
feeling that it's all really just slipping away and it and 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 right away the way people on the right will say that that you're this is typical you know um left and east coast liberal elitism and that mm. you're pessimistic and that you know you don't get it and you know you don't love this country why don't you leave why don't you go to france you know right so yeah let me tell you they they know how to live in France, as you know. So they do. That's, <laughs> that's the not, that's only not the worst idea. <laughs> I know. I'm, I and I have to say, I'm a patriotic American. I mean, I do love my country, and I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. But if I did want to live anywhere else, I'd live in France. <laughs> Sorry, but I would. I mean, you have to admire them in France for for not you know needing more than they need. You know, they don't. They don't have. You don't walk into a drugstore there, and there's like um, aisles and aisles of of candy by the register. You know, and snacks eat eat consume consume you know like we do here you just have a pharmacy where you go in and they have shampoos and soaps and you know um it's strange and you don't walk into a supermarket and there's like snacks and, and prepackaged food everywhere it's all just food you have to take home and cook and you know they just have a different attitude there and it's it's something that we should maybe take a lesson from i mean just because we have the freedom to do it we should you know it doesn't mean we shouldn't question whether or not um, it's good for us, or if it's sustainable. Right. I hate that word, but <laughs> there's nothing um, more depressing for me than to go to uh, pavilions on. Uh, this is my favorite local market because it's just a. Uh, I mean, uh, when you get out of the vegetables, I mean, it's just it's lovely and luscious and uh, colorful and 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 my my sushi. But the rest of the market, with the exception of the wine section, I suppose, and uh, and the waters and the juices. Uh, it's most of it is 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 no, you know, can't do that, can't do that. You just go up and down the aisles. That's bad. Nope, nope, nope. You know, I know. You, you buy, um, you know, the, uh, uh, you know, I have to buy my Tide for cleaning clothes and you know the things that that are not going to necessarily be harmful. But everything, as far as your body is concerned, ninety percent of it is bad in one way or another. Right. You start to feel like a killjoy after a while. I know, I know, it's true, and. You know, I mean, probably the worst, the, 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 probably the, if we're going to punctuate how awful Independence Day is, if we want to go in that direction, we can say that the fact that the Casey Anthony story is the biggest story in the news today on the 4th of July in America. I mean, if that doesn't just sort of say it all, I don't know what does. For those who have not followed the Casey Anthony story, uh, which is a trial about the murder of a young girl. Could you explain what you know about it just for uh, for those who maybe haven't followed it? I mean, it's not necessarily the only thing that people are saying. I know it's very big. It is the big tabloid story, but could you run it down? It is the big... Well, I haven't been paying attention to it, <laughs> oh. except because it's one of those stories. Like when the Anthony Weiner story broke, I pretty much signed off at Twitter for a while because I really didn't even want to hear it. I didn't want to uh -huh. see everybody swirling around that story. Yeah. And the Casey Anthony one is one I've tried to... Like Kim Kardashian, I've tried really hard to just not know anything about but what i do but you can't avoid it because everybody's talking about it for instance if i go to a fourth of july party today at my mom's my mom will be talking about it because she's been watching it on tv because it's the only thing on tv i have a friend here from florida um and he's talking about it because in florida that's all anybody's talking about you know so um i guess it's you know somehow they've managed to turn a, a pretty simple story of a woman killing her kid into this you know high intrigue did she do it? Didn't she do it? You know, she's telling all these lies and, you know, I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's a white girl, another, another dead white girl, you know, I mean, how many black kids are killed in the same way and never get any news coverage. So. How do you spell Casey, by the way? C-A-S-E-Y. That's just like Casey Stengel, right? Uh, 
Yeah, I guess so. I know that's that dates me. <laughs> it's okay. He's the manager of the, of the New York Yankees. Oh, okay. <laughs> Casey is the bat, you know. Hmm. But that I guess that's the TV story right now. And so when we came home from Yosemite, my friend turned on CNN, and that was this. That was what was happening on CNN. Um, that story. So of course. I turned off the TV because I don't want to hear anything about it. I don't want to know anything about it. You know, it's not news. So uh, this is actually uh, the, the the child who was only three years old was found uh, two years ago, disappeared two years ago, and the uh, authorities have only uh, just gotten around this year to, um, you know, it goes on and on and on. So what? Where is the intrigue? I guess to it. Uh, the, what? Are, what is the basis? I don't know. I could have my friend come on and tell us. I don't, cause I really don't know. All I know is that it's there and it's you know, um, yeah, you know, it's happening and it's. I guess, like I say, I think it's just about the fact that it's another dead white kid, you know, and it's it's uh, sort of our need to publicly stone someone, and that's what we're doing in this case. You know, it's hold her up, and maybe, maybe. I mean, my mom seems to think that she's innocent. But again, I don't know the details, so I can't well, even. Uh, do you remember the woman who claimed that a black man had absconded with her two children mm. or killed them, but she in fact had put them into the back seat of her car and yeah. driven the car into the lake, right? Found them, and it was uh, believed that her motive was that she felt she couldn't get a husband with two kids, and she had to get rid of them so that she would be more attractive to some prospective uh, guy. I think that's what I understood from that case. And people were just like, couldn't believe how sickening uh, a, a mother could be, you know. Um, is there some uh, perceived motive on her part other than she's psychotic? Or wh why did she kill her young? You um, well, okay. All I know is that from when the story first broke, I was following it a little bit, which was that she's a young girl, a young mother who really wanted to just party and have her life and didn't want, in Susan Smith's case, the one who drowned her her two children, she was with a guy who didn't want kids, mm -hmm. and she figured if she could get rid of the kids, she could have this guy, right. um, being the brilliant woman that she was, and um, missing the big picture completely. You know, um, this woman's um, Casey Anthony, I suppose, was. Um, I mean, I, if you want me to get my friend Robert on, he could talk. About it, <laughs> I don't know here? anything about. It. Yeah, he's right here. Yeah, I'd like to hear. You want to hear? Hello. Hey, Robert. How you doing, man? Jeff. Uh, okay. How are you? What part of Brooklyn? Yeah, I'm a former uh, Park Slope guy. You're former. You're now living out here. No, no, no. I'm in Florida now. Oh, okay. Well, so uh, in uh, boiling it down to the very, uh, you know, essence, the whole um, uh, Casey Anthony thing is because uh, it's fascinating because she is the latest monster to have eliminated her daughter because why? That's what nobody uh, seems to understand. What's the perceived motive? It's usually because they're not just monster because they killed a kid, but they're monster because they killed the kids for some ridiculous, disgusting reason. She had a motive that was reprehensible. Do you have, is there anything about that? Or is it just the fact that she got tired of being a mother? What do you perceive about this? Uh, th this is going to sound incredibly cynical, but in the years I've lived in Florida, there's always a lot of kids who die at the hands of their parents. And it seems that these people have kids, and once the kids are old enough to start running around as toddlers and thinking for themselves and, mm -hmm. you know, generally being a pain in the ass, the kid winds up dead in a swimming pool or some. 
<laughs> Seriously, it, it happens like all the time. Like you could just run a videotape of old Florida newscasts over and over and over and over, and it's always the same thing. And for some reason, the Casey Anthony case just became a national thing. Like Nancy Grace got onto it and CNN, you know, got behind it and Fox News and everything else. And three years after the kid's death, it's now, I mean, they're holding the trial today on the 4th of July. I mean, think how strange that is. You know, I mean, it's really disrespectful to be having a court proceeding how old on Independence Day. So it, it's just like a weird, weird, you know, like yeah. descent of America type of story, you know, and right the, up your alley. And the daughter, who's only two years old when she passed, not quite three. Right. Uh, and the mom was in her 20s? Uh, yeah, she was in her early 20s. So we're basically looking at the inability of kid, people who are younger to uh, really grapple with the realities of raising kids, and they're just too... Uh, driven towards being, um, you know, they want to enjoy their life. They want to be party ladies, party girls. You know, they want to not be kept down by these annoying kids. So how bad is it to get rid of them? Because, you know, uh, it's important to be able to fulfill your potential as a party girl. That's what I'm getting. Right, right. right. Yeah, I mean, that that's the, the story is that the, the kid disappeared. Yeah. Uh, Casey Anthony didn't do anything about it she ran out and she got a new tattoo during that period which is again is you know there's modern america and um eventually uh the grandparents called the police like after 31 days or something like that Uh so uh the it always seemed to me that the cops were never that interested in even solving the case and, you know, it, it just was like another weird Florida story that would have been forgotten. And, uh, you know, for some reason, this one hasn't been forgotten. You know, it's just turned into like this, uh, you know, this, this whole, you know, weird drama that's, you know, still going on today. So. Why do you think the cops were not interested in solving because there's so many missing children, as you were saying, or, or dead children? or uh, it, It's hard to explain. I don't know whether they thought it would be too expensive to prosecute or whether there was something that they just didn't want to get involved. I mean, it was the strangest thing because they never really made an effort to even find the kid's body. Mm-hmm. Um, the kid's body was like a half mile from the house, and they never searched there. Like, everyone was telling them, well, that, you know, that's a good place to search, and they never looked. So it was, it was just... Part of it is just everything in Florida is always kind of like slipshod and half-assed, and uh, mm-hmm. including the police work, you know. Mm-hmm. So, wouldn't you imagine if you were going to kill somebody, anybody, uh, and you were going to take that step, and it was up to you to dispose of the remains? I w- wouldn't you want to drive at least I don't know fifty miles or a hundred miles or you know, a long ways away in some obscure thing that had no links to you. Doesn't that make sense? Right, right. But see, you're dealing with Casey Anthony, who was just like a real dumb Florida girl. Mm. The other thing is, apparently someone from the FBI said that when mothers kill their children, they often dispose of the body very close to the house. Sort of keep them near so they can... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like some psychological thing Mm. that the cops should have been aware of. Mm. Apparently, like, everyone who deals with child murders is aware of that. So, um, but, you know, I mean, Casey Anthony is no criminal mastermind. I mean, she's not, you know, she's, uh, she's not exactly Meyer Lansky. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, when uh, <laughs> when is the uh, verdict supposed to be uh, found or, or or delivered? Do you have any clue about that, or when that's when it's going to be? Over? Oh, oh well, I, I mean, here's again where I will sound like a cynical, crazy person. I mean, I I assume she killed the kid. I mean, I'm sure she killed the kid. It was just you know slipshod uh, yeah. police work all around and all that, but. It's a Florida jury, so who knows? <laughs> you know, I mean, you have 12 people from, I think they got the jury in Clearwater, Florida. So, you know, who knows how, how that's going to work out. In fact, we should put you in a room with the jury afterwards <laughs> and just see what happens. Well, we, it's, you're implying that they're not smart enough. So they're going to. No, it would just be interesting to talk to them and, and see, you know, what... You know, I mean, it, it, again, it's like a thing in America, like anyone with a brain always gets out of being on a jury. So, you know, you wind up with these uh, these trials that can have very strange outcomes. So if, if I had to bet five bucks on it, I would say she'd get convicted and then the appeals will go on for the next 20 years. But uh, right. we shall see. <laughs> All right, man. Well, enjoy your, uh, you know, July 4th holiday. You're going up to uh, Ohio with Sasha? Yeah, yeah, I think we're going to uh, go to our barbecue. We've gotten cleaned up after Yosemite, and we're more or less back to uh, right. back to our normal selves. So, uh, <laughs> which right, well, whatever whatever that implies. <laughs> so. All right. Okay, we'll right. hand it back to Sasha now. All right. Be well. Okay. God, we're so cynical about the future of this country and the nature of Floridians and young women who just don't want to be moms too soon. Made a mistake. Got to fix the problem. Good God. Well, We're talking about a society that's really collapsing. It's just uh, there's, there's something really missing. Um, or maybe maybe there were women doing this to their children in the 1930s or the 1890s. But oh sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, mothering is hard, but but it's especially hard in the way that we have it set up, which is um, a woman isolated raising her children, especially that poor woman who drowned all of her children and went crazy. I mean. You know, we're, we've sort of, we're living almost in direct contrast to our nature. We're supposed to be communal creatures who live among other women where everybody raises the kids, you know. Yeah. Um, we're not supposed to really be monogamous. <laughs> we are supposed to be monogamous in our society. I don't know if you read that New York Times story um, uh, talking about Dan Savage and, and the ideas of monogamy and infidelity. and. Uh, How old is that article? I'll, I'll uh, it was this week's. New York Times, really good, really good, very in-depth story about how some people just aren't built for monogamy, and what do they do when they're in a marriage and they want to remain faithful, and um, they don't have any sexual life with their partner at all, and, you know, how do they be a good, you know, good father or good wife and or mother and, and, and not go completely crazy with frust sexual frustration, you know, so it's an interesting story. Um, you should read it. I think you'd you'd like it. Uh, Dan uh, Savage is a sex columnist, and the name mm -hmm. of the column was uh, Savage Infidel Love. Infidelity keeps us together. That is the New York Times piece. Yeah. 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 But but Dan Savage does he he's has that ongoing column Savage Love, which is okay. really brilliant. I mean, the guy's brilliant. He's just great. But uh, you know, I think his thoughts on mono monogamy and infidelity and all that are very revolutionary. It's something Americans don't want to hear. But you know this—the way that married couples are expected to live now—is pretty new, um, compared to the hundreds of years we've been being married. And right. so, um, but speaking of the New York Times, we should talk about page one, and we should talk about um, the Fox News. Um, 
Oh, the, yeah, they were hacked uh, very early this morning, really, really late last night. And the uh, the, the the tweets that uh, this is one of Fox News's tweet accounts. It's not uh, the only one. Uh, and it announced that uh, President Obama had been shot twice and had died, and that uh, all of our wishes and hopes and prayers are with uh, President uh, Joe Biden. And those messages were up for uh, until, according to what I read in the New York Times, until 9 a.m. our time, noon, uh, back or, or three hours ago. Hmm. Um, so I guess, uh, you know, uh, obviously the people that did it are hate Fox News, and they wanted to make them look, uh, um, you know, bad and, uh, and, and, and small and cheap and, and, and vicious. And uh, that's uh, right. so they did it. So, right, yeah. but but the interesting thing to me was, yeah. you know, um, page one, the the documentary yeah. in the New York Times, um, it makes a very good point, mm-hmm. I think, via both David Carr and David Stetler. Yes. Is it David Stetler? No, Brian Stetler. Brian Stetler. Um, that, you know, if you're not, if you're a journalist and you're not on Twitter, you've completely mm-hmm. dropped the ball and you just can't deliver timely news. If you're not following and you're not tweeting. Mm-hmm. Um but I thought that story was interesting because it sort of illustrated exactly what they're talking about. And then I finally I clicked on the, the page one of the New York Times, and there's Brian Stetler's story on the Fox News Twitter hacking. Mm-hmm. But it didn't. Yeah. It wasn't announced by any of the major um, on Twitter. It wasn't announced by NPR um, or New York Times until much later, after mm-hmm. everybody already knew about it. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I really think that's interesting. And, Journalists are going to have to like rethink and relearn how to break news now, you know, and they, then they're all going to have to work outside of their regular business hours if they want to be in journalism. Sure. Yeah. 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 So um, it's, it's a constant thing. And um, it certainly is where it starts. I'm not uh, we all know that uh, Twitter is only just fragmentary bursts of information and that real journalism is the assembly of the whole story in an intelligent way that gets rid of the rumor and the speculation and the untruths, you know, so, so, yeah. but that's certainly where it all sparkles and starts. That's where the first snap is. And without yeah. that, you're really not in the world. That's true. Right, right. Um, so we can we can talk about movies if you want. Yeah. Well, uh, you no, know, without even asking you. I 30 minutes in, we'll start talking yeah. about movies. <laughs> Without even asking you, I'm going to presume no. that you didn't care to go to Larry Crown, and so you have nothing to say about the death. I would love to hear what you have to say, and I want to hear about your um, scooter experience. And I, w- I will not see Larry Crown after the, uh-huh. the massacre it got by the critics. Uh-huh. No, I might see it sometime, but is it really that bad? I don't find uh, I, I didn't find it to be god awful, but I found it to be uh, oh, so bland that it was it almost uh, you know my my mouth was open and I was astonished at how bland it was. Mm-hmm. And he's no uh, dumb guy. He's not Chuck Norris. He's not uh, <clears throat> a, a, a simpleton who happened to have gotten lucky. He's obviously uh, used his intelligence as an actor, as a producer. Um, he's been in some top quality films. He knows what good filmmaking and good dialogue, good character is. And um, I don't understand how he could have delivered something this vanilla and this uh, toothless. Um, you know, well, what is, is it sort of like Nora Ephron Light? I mean, how, yeah. how vanilla are we talking? Are we talking more vanilla than <laughs> Sleepless in Seattle? We're talking about a guy who has, to, you know, as I said, the essence of the movie. Butter wouldn't melt in his mouth. Wouldn't melt in anybody's mouth in this film. 
and um, he is uh, so um, likably uh, uh, agreeable, and he wants things to be, uh, to, you know, to be as gentle and to be as um, not angry. He doesn't want to be uh, uh, bitter. He doesn't want to feel uh, hopeless. He doesn't. All these things that would almost certainly occur and 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 overtake a person who had lost uh, a big job. Um, you so know, he sorry. doesn't succumb to any of this stuff because I don't think Tom Hanks wants to. It's always been in his. Uh, it's always been part of his temperament not to, um, you know, do anything uh, or exhibit anything to to you know act anything that is uh, too um, too uh, you know uh, unpleasant and 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 and, and jagged. Um, you know, it's just what who he is. He likes mm. to be liked. He likes to be likable. <clears throat> so it's that plus the, I think probably it's definitely what Jarek uh, said. It's probably the le that plus the lethal combination <coughs> of him and Nia Vardalos uh, led to this. Oh God, the lethal combination of Nia Vardalos. <laughs> you know, since she is uh, began got in with them, you know, with uh, with friendship with um, with his wife. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Rita. Rita um, Wilson. Wilson, and um, they're both Greek. And I just think there's something about uh, that membrane of of, of of gentleness of West Side uh, affluent uh, life in this city. I don't, um, you, know, you, you know, there's certain basics that, that we all know that if you're going to tell a story about a person, a real person, um, they just didn't seem to look into anything other than uh, they just wanted things to kind of glide along, and it does glide, that's for sure. But you're just saying they're, they're not going to do anything with this movie. Nothing's going to happen that's going to really hit home. Um, you know, I, I'm, I really relate to, I think we all can, uh, movies about struggle, about mm. having to, uh, you know, survive and, and, and adapt because, you know, you've been kicked to the ground, you lost your job, lost your income. And they don't want to deal with it at all, really. They just want to kind of glide along. So what happens? I mean, he, he meets her. He's in an adult education class. She's his teacher. Yeah. Is yeah. he an alcoholic or something? Or <laughs> they, they wouldn't have the nerve to even <laughs> think about showing him be socially a drinker. You know, he does not drink. Because um, think of how good you know. that could be. Yeah. Think about something, you know. Uh, uh, what's the screenwriting 101 that we all uh, have heard about all our lives? You want to have a character that has something going on that you can at least zero in on, and it's, it's interesting. What are they really afraid of? You know, yeah. what scares them? What at scares them? In the morning when they're sleeping and they wake up and they've just had a bad dream. What is that thing that scares them? You got to at least go there. You got to deal with that because it's part of who you are, part of what we all are. And um, I don't know. I, they're such big stars, both of them, Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks. I mean, maybe they feel like they owe their audience the, good a good time, a happy experience, yeah. an easy breezy, you know, old fashioned romantic comedy, you know, maybe right. something um, Carol Lombard ish, uh -huh. you know. I'd like to be uh, like that person in a way. I'd like to be a yes person. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you laugh immediately? Because you find that, you know, whoppingly insincere that I would want to be a yes person. No, I don't <laughs> doubt that. It's like I want to be a religious person. I really do. I want to have religious faith. I never could, though. You know, you just, some people's brains aren't wired that way. Yeah. 
So, uh, you know, um, but, you know, like I will try it on. I will somehow adapt. Um, you know, I, I did this thing with Phil Catrino after uh, and we went over his, his finances, about his likely income from his uh, Navy pension. He's, he's a 20 year Navy man. And what he was probably making at what they call Phil U Phil Contrino is a Navy man. What's wrong with me? <laughs> what is wrong? With how me? how old is he? He's just a little a little above twenty. <laughs> Not something uh, uh, leaking out of my brain this morning. <laughs> just you know. <laughs> So not Phil Contrino, but our, our rope of silicon friends. Oh, Brad Brevet. Brad Brevet. It just didn't. It just came out. Phil Brad Brevet is a twenty-year-old Navy guy. No, he uh, was seized by the idea that the uh, that we want to know about how desperate is Larry Crown economically. Oh, <laughs> Larry well, Crown's the twenty-year-old Navy guy. Yes, Larry Crown is the twenty-year-old. <laughs> Twenty-year naval guy, and he's got a pension. We tried. I figured that out. I went online and tried to figure out what the pension for an E7 would be, which is what he was. He was senior enlisted as a, as a cook, and then figured out what his likely salary would have been. Not as a suit and tie uh, guy, but as floor manager, uh, customer service manager at at Walmart, and then what he would be probably making as a short order cook in a place like Frank's, which is a real restaurant, by the way, on uh, Olive Avenue in Burbank. And we just figured it all out with his income. He basically went from about uh, being uh, take home, take home about fifty-eight thousand, fifty-nine thousand a year, hmm. down to forty-nine thousand. Hmm. Now um, that's not very. Uh, that, that's obviously you lose one fifth of your income. That definitely. Uh, that's you're talking about some some serious belt belt tightening. And then one of the things he does is that he buys a scooter, which I have done in my own life to uh, cut down on gas, and I feel wonderful about because it's you know. It, it thrills you every time you go anywhere, and it feels good. And oh, I bet, yeah. So, uh, but he basically has this house, this home. He's got a mortgage. Uh, I don't know how big it is, but it's probably not much more than seventeen hundred or eighteen hundred. We figured out that he bought the house with his wife in the nineties, and then he had to buy her out, so we had to do a. Um, Did a, she divorce him? Is that? Yeah, something. Hmm. Uh, but she left, and he bought her out. I guess they had a fifty-fifty. So um, anyway, the long and the short is that he's uh, basically has to adjust, and yeah, I just think without man, you know that sounds like watching paint dry. Because <laughs> yeah. there's nothing well, exciting I, I, I about this story at all. <laughs> I understand about paint dry and finances are boring. No, I mean the movie to... sounds like it, not oh. your story. Your story's interesting, digging into you know the reality of it. But the movie itself, I mean, is, does he have any tragic... I was just, you know, from the trailer, I thought, oh, they're going to lure us in with this easy story, but then they're going to hit us hard with something like he's, he has cancer or he's, he's a schizophrenic or, you know. But, but there was nothing like that. It was just, I fall in love with the teacher. She likes me. We get together at the end. Is that sort of... On top of, of which, there's this, there's this uh, delicious uh, Jamaican lady. Um, um, her name is Gugu. Uh, Rabatha something. Uh, it's a it's a difficult sounding Nigerian name, mm. but she's one of the most beautiful women I've seen. You know, in a in a new movie who I haven't haven't paid attention for. She's got this uh, 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 delight in him. They have this uh, real sparkle together. And uh, one interesting thing would be for a 52 year old guy to uh, develop this foolish attraction for a woman 20 years older, uh, younger than she. And she has a boyfriend. He's territorial and he's angry. He's possessive. He doesn't want him 
you know, mm. <clears throat> that sounds so. boring to me too. Actually, twenty years older woman would be more interesting. <laughs> okay, that too. Uh, he, she could be seventy-two, and he could, uh, but that that would not uh, be considered a commercial. And, you know. Well, no, I no, no, sure it would. That's a male fantasy. But what would be interesting would be if if he had the two women going, um, and he had yeah, to decide between the two, and and that, they were. That would be interesting. I know, but you'd have to you'd have to ask yourself why would that beautiful woman be interested in him? Well, that's what you're asking yourself right away when you see and and, and you realize, of course, there's one one reason she's interested because Tom Hanks is the producer, director, and star. He hired her to be a woman who's in, interested in him. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> well, sure. I mean, you know, it's funny because if he's if he is Tom Hanks, he's all of a sudden elevated himself to the top of the pile in terms of, you know, made ability, right? So he is desirable because he's Tom Hanks. But if you take all that stuff away and he's just a guy who rides a scooter in a, a yeah. in a, an adult class, he's not that interesting um, to her, I'm sure. Is is she probably has a very good looking boyfriend, right? Uh, he's a uh, Latino guy, uh, a young uh, youngish like guy in his early thirties, and uh, yeah. She's got a good-looking boyfriend who glares at Tom Hanks because of this thing going on between the two of them. Well, so what happens? Does Tom Tom Hanks likes her, but then decides that it's unseemly of him or something? No, no, it never even gets to him even thinking about there being an actual, uh, you know, uh, chemistry, you know, possibly romantic, you know, become involving sex. Forget it. it because of the there. boyfriend. Because Tom Hanks doesn't want to do a movie that has any real. Uh, edge or, or, or uncertainty or, or, you know, just any kind of threat element. It's just, you know, it's just about being cruising along in a friendly, nice, agreeable way. And so he doesn't want to go there. So that's what's why the movie <coughs> is appalling, uh, because of its uh, aversion to anything real or anything scary, anything, um, you know, just different, a little, little challenging. Or something. Yeah, but I thought the whole point of the movie was to get Julia Roberts and Tom Hanks together. Well, she's, uh, she kind of um, moves along in a gradual way, but she's got a terrible marriage, and she drinks at home, and she's got a snippy personality, and uh, it takes a while to get there, but it's, they, they, they get there, you know, bit by bit. She's got a bad marriage to uh, played by to a guy named, who, who's online all the time, played by Brian Cranston. Um, it's, it's not very interesting. <laughs> well, what happens at the end? Anything? Uh, well, Tom Hanks has sold his home because he figures he can't handle the mortgage, and so he's moved into, by the way, the kind of exquisite uh, apartment that, you know, every single person who has to uh, live on a, on a limited income would love to have. Mm. We're talking about old Spanish uh, design, uh, you know, beautiful plaster, the old-fashioned kind that you might see in Veracruz, Mexico or something. It's just a beautiful place with a nice wooden door and... Just, um, you know, old Spanish design everywhere. And he manages to land a place like this. Well, let me tell you something. You can't land a place like this um, unless you're willing to go 2000 2500 a month on rent, which isn't that much different. In fact, it's a little bit more than what he's probably paying for his mortgage, as we figured out. So, I mean, okay. I, I, I know I, I was in a marriage in which I lived in an old Spanish place, and I was determined to find a replica of that. And I learned soon enough that on a, on a budget, you cannot afford places like that. They're just too choice. So they lie every which way they can. It's just not realistic. I still don't understand the point, <laughs> the whole point yeah. of the movie. I mean, you, ha you haven't given me an idea of why would Tom Hanks make this movie? Um, he wants to project something that he feels good about, which is being the likable, engaging, 
Um, one of the nicest people I've personally met in my life in, in this industry. He's one of the nicest people I've ever, uh, you know, batted around with. He's a, he's a really quite nice fellow. So he's a nice guy making a movie about a nice guy. Yeah. yeah. And the point is... The point is, I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not there. It's not very strong. Uh, he probably should uh, not direct himself again. Does Julia's character have an arc of any kind? Just or get past uh, being uh, married to a guy who sits home and does nothing, which isn't believable that he would just give up on being a writer. I mean, they make him into this guy who basically visits porn sites and becomes part of various chat rooms, and he's supposed to be a writer. That's not believable, you know? I mean, if... Well, it if, kind of is, actually. Well, you'd have to have somebody <clears throat> who really is a writer, who once was a good writer, who's perhaps uh, having uh, writer's block and has written four chapters. And, you know, you have to develop him a little bit. And then hmm. he's given up because he feels that he doesn't have whatever it was that brought him to the point that he could actually complete a decent first novel and really feel good about himself. Whatever that thing is, it's gone. He can't find it again. That's that's somebody I'll go with that, you know. And then he, he out of depression he goes to porn sites and, and you know, he's playing games with himself and lying with himself that he's that he uh, you know, is, he can can pull it together. That's that's that, that I'll buy, but they don't even try to do that. How about your scooter ride? How was that like? <laughs> what was that the one like? That didn't happen because my pants ripped. Oh <laughs> last uh, Sunday night or whatever it was. I didn't read the story, oh no, what happened? Oh god. I um, threw my right leg over the uh, over the scooter uh, just prior to driving over to the parking lot uh, on Hollywood Boulevard, only about six or seven blocks away from the Chinese, where everybody's supposed to get together to be part of this big scooter phalanx or scooter swarm, <laughs> which uh, Tom Hanks would be in front of. You know, and that would, it was okay for me to join them. Is what I was told after after a lot of uh, pleading and. So uh, anyway, <clears throat> I threw my leg over, and I, I like these the sort of tight, slim dress pants. Well, you know, I split my pants wide open at the crotch, and I um, <gasps> thought it was embarrassing to walk around with, with my underwear showing, <laughs> white underwear. Yeah. So oh, God. So, I, so the idea was to find underwear that was dark, so, <laughs> so no people would not you know, spot it right away. And um, plus there were... Thread. But eventually, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the idea is that just no, uh, I was not trying not to stand out at all. <laughs> so the idea was to find a thrifty, or a, you know, a, a CVS. They all have underwear sections. Wait, pause to appreciate thrifty. <laughs> <laughs> thrifty doesn't exist anymore, does it? It's been taken over by Rite Aid. Uh, that, that I meant to say that. But in the old days of California, guys, <laughs> anybody listening, we had thrifties. We used yeah. to shop for the thrifty. Uh, the long and the short, and this is not a that interesting story. <laughs> it's already uh, very interesting. <laughs> so I finally uh, went to. Um, I found. I found. What did I find? Uh, it was a um, Target. A Target at uh, La Brea in Santa Monica. I went upstairs, found a pair of black underwear, the kind that is long, that sort of goes droops down a little bit. And uh, I bought the uh, eight eight dollars. Went into the men's room, changed, <laughs> put them on, and everything was fine after that. So, Let's see your road. Huh? Did you ride in the scooter parade? No. By the time I had found the underwear, it took many uh, 
tried at different places. I went to a 99 cent store <laughs> looking for underwear, and they didn't have it. <laughs> so I basically ate up a lot of time. So by the time I got back, you know, it was hot. It was a little on the warm side. I have to wear the helmet. I just felt, you know, I'm getting too hot and too sweaty. So let's just, you know, so I decided to just park it and then just take the, the just nicely glide into the theater and watch the film. Yeah. And, and this then, is for the premiere of the film, right? That's what they did? The premiere of Larry Crown. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and then the party, uh, the after party, which was on, actually, I don't know why I always say Sunday. It was on last Friday night, <clears throat> not uh, the night before last, but, you know, nine days ago. Uh, the uh, party was so un-Larry Crown. I was, somebody was saying that if Larry Crown himself was invited to this party <laughs> honor, he would take one look at this thing, <laughs> turn around and get on the scooter and drive down to a, to a Bob's Big Boy and just get a cup of coffee and a you know, slice of pie. It was a um, really too much, too noisy, much, many, way too many people. Was so he there? Was Tom Hanks there? He was right in the middle of it and having a great time. Everybody was just going to give him the back slaps and he was, you know, it was a joyous thing for him. I Isn't it strange if you're, you're a person in Hollywood like that and you do this premiere and everybody comes out and everybody's patting you on the back, everybody's lying to you, telling you what a great movie it is and how wonderful it is and how they enjoyed it. And then cut to a couple of days later, it's, it's trashed by the critics. Everybody can, you know, considers yeah, it a bad movie and it financially underperformed uh <clears throat> of course as you know if you've been there to any of these things the art is to find something that you genuinely do like about the film and just say that and stick with that one thing you mean because um, they off they walk up to you and they say so what did you think right no the idea the trick is to uh offer something uh just you know that you generally feel is good about it so you say like i really liked the nigerian girl <laughs> Where did you find her? Yeah, sure. yeah. No, no, really. What did you say? Well, it doesn't sound like you hated the movie. You just—it sounds like you think that the just there was nothing really happened. Yeah, nothing really happened, and nothing was not nothing was dug into. Nothing about you know, it's 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 pretty traumatic to. Uh, but you just said something that makes me want to see it, which is yeah. you said that he wouldn't have liked his character wouldn't have liked the premiere. That no, tells me not. tells me that Tom Hanks is, is in his own kind of you know, likable, generic way, trying to tell his audience about the things he finds important in life, which are the simple things and not the big, rich man Hollywood things, you know? Yeah, I'd say that that does come across, yes. Okay, that. and that is interesting to me, so I probably will see it because of that, if I can stand Julia Roberts. For and the other nice thing is that he's kind of a schlubby, kind of a un, uh, rather boring and tedious dresser. He's a Kmart guy who, who wears polo shirts with stripes on them. And he uh, takes the advice of the really beautiful uh, young actress, uh, uh, Gugu, and uh, uh, wears cooler threads, darker clothes, gets a cool haircut. Um, he just, uh, he, he grows, and he's willing to uh, try something else out, which is, you know, it's a nice spirit about it. It's like he's starting his life over, right? Yeah. In middle age, that's sort of the idea. He loses his wife, he loses his job, and he has to start over by going back to college and meets yep. a new girl. And but it kind of devolves into a romance, doesn't it? Like the rest of the story sort of falls apart, and it focuses on the Julia Roberts story, right? Because if he can get the girl, he can have a life. Yes, that's usually the way. That's you know, whenever you get the girl in a film, it means you've got a chance at something that might be a good life. Yeah. Right. You get the girl. Yeah. Okay. A gun and a girl. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's so preordained with those two. I, I, I don't think, it, I don't really believe her anymore. Uh, I believe her 
that who she is. I think she brings um, <clears throat> this 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 kind of um, snippy, you know, angry quality to her mm. um, to her roles. Uh, uh, I just don't find any intrigue in her. She's going to do the same thing no matter what. Right. She's going to be a little testy. She's going to be on edge. She's going to be looking at you for some something she doesn't like about you. Um, I would love to see him take a chance on a different actress, maybe even an unknown uh -huh. for that part, you know, to discover somebody new. I mean, how cool would that be? You know, they, they so rarely do that anymore. Everything follows a formula, but... And he's been with her before, and he um, considers her to be box office insurance. And I, I would say that she's not box office insurance. Not anymore. I, if Phil were here, that's what he would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so somebody asked me on Twitter if I thought that yeah. um, David Cronenberg's uh, new film um, was going to be an Oscar movie and whether or not Keira Knightley was going to get nominated for that. And uh, my answer was that um, David Cronenberg and the Academy don't really mix at all. Never you know? have never have and probably never will even though this latest one has sort of oscar bait written all over it because it's um it's a period film and um you know kara knightley looks like she's you know she's taking off her clothes she's having sex <clears throat> they like her anyway she's english so <laughs> christopher the hampton film that we're speaking of is one that is about william uh um, Tell me what it's about. It's, it's a called A Dangerous Method, and it's about the relationship between Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. There you go. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, mm. that's, um, that's a pretty intriguing topic, if you ask me. Yeah, and uh, Viggo Mortensen plays Sigmund yeah. Freud, and right. Right. Michael Fassbender plays <clears throat> Fassbender. Yeah. <laughs> plays Carl Jung. Fassbender. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he plays Carl Jung. And she plays the girl in between, you know, who apparently has, you know, sexual desires that are uh -huh. then uncovered through psychotherapy, and yeah. which is interesting because at that time it definitely was the topic, you know, um, at hand, which was that they were starting to realize that if you start talking about this stuff, you can cure yourself. Yep. Acknowledge the undercurrents and the unruly aspects of your inner nature, uh, uh, obviously including sexual desire. So. Um, and I think, as if you can tell from the trailer, that uh, that Fassbender's um, character, um, he does uh, start to feel very attracted to her, and I think I think it violates uh, uh, analyst uh, patient uh, <laughs> rules of today. Yeah. But uh, you know, they they definitely get down apparently. I think they do, and she sort of you know acts out her fantasies. I guess they're S and M fantasies. <laughs> um, but you know, when you were when I was in therapy, I was seeing a Jungian, and I know that there was, or maybe a Freudian, no, she was a Jungian, but, you know, they, they definitely did part ways in terms of their, their philosophies about therapy, and, you know, uh, Carl Jung was more about dreams, and then <clears throat> Freud was more about, you know, s um, symbolism and family, and, you know, the mother and the father and all of that, you know, so, mm -hmm. I don't know, it'll be interesting to see, because I don't know much about them, so I'm, I'm curious to see how it all, how that story is told, and, in fact, this is probably the only Cronenberg movie that does seem like it might hover somewhere near the Oscar voters, but he's always just been too weird, frankly, for them. He's um, he's he's never been involved in in delivering that <coughs> kind of emotional completeness. Um, there's always um, something very sort of um, Indian raggedy about his uh, sensibility, and um, mm. he's he's really um, astonishing. I mean, anyone who could make the original Crash first crash the one that was really mm. good to me that's uh, that's one of the more fascinating movies um, 
you know, uh, yeah. in, in that in that realm of uh, movies about obsessions and bizarre, uh, you know, sensual tendencies and all that. So. Well, he also made The Dead Zone, which is such a great movie, and it was so horribly ignored by the Academy. But um, but that's that one of really his best. Yeah. 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 And Dead Ringers is great. Uh, mm -hmm. You know. But a very perverse film, you have to admit. Yeah. I remember. Aren't they both sleeping with Jean-Pierre Bigeau? Both brothers, both Jeremy Irons. Yeah. Brothers. Yeah, but that was a great acting uh, role by Jeremy Irons, and of course he wasn't nominated. I think yeah. that the Academy, they need to grow a pair. They need to mm. grow up. You know, they need to see that, that life isn't always about, you know, telling a conventional happy story with a emotional mm. release at the end. You know, it's so boring for them. They sure. should open up their minds a little bit and then check out David Cronenberg. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know what I'm really excited by, uh, and this is a fairly recent trailer to break, is Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, Thomas Alfredson's uh, uh, feature version of the uh, John le Carré novel, which mm -hmm. was initially uh, adapted into a six-part British miniseries, which uh, ran not 360, but somehow it ran only 270, but it, that's a long time, obviously, and they're... And the and the big uh, problem with John Le Carre is that his movies are very his, his books rather are very complex and and labyrinthian and uh, detailed and very subtle mm -hmm. and uh, the idea in having to make a feature maybe two hours or so is that you um, you risk losing something by compressing and eliminating so much yeah so, who knows but it looks awfully good okay good. speaking of that <laughs> how about that movie that has that terrible title. <laughs> that you're never going to go oh, see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hated that uh, title, uh, the, the, and I still haven't seen it. I've, I've been avoiding it because I can't stand the uh, the title, and it's so long that I have to find my own email to remind myself exactly how it is. <laughs> <the, the> <laughs> I know, I have to look at your email, too, to find it. It's, the, the, the key thing is A Tribe Called Quest. <laughs> but the, uh, but it's really the, the whole title is Beats... Rhymes and life, colon, the travels of a tribe called Quest. <laughs> they need a, a, a just a certain. They should just. The, it's going to be called the tri the tribe tribe called Quest movie. You yeah. know, that's sure. what people are going to. Yeah. So, um, did you say that Jet Wells went to Vegas? Yes, he did. He went there with a uh, with a platonic uh, girlfriend, and they uh, uh, he. Uh, they drove up like five hours and then uh, parked it at a place where they got a relatively good deal, $220 uh, a night. They went to the Palm Casino, which used to be the headquarters of Jim Vegas. And I've been there a few times. And um, between everything, he had to buy a, sh a little short-sleeved shirt because they wouldn't let him in with a T-shirt because of the dress code. And uh, he basically tore through about $400 in the 24-hour space for him in order to wow. you know, just take care of everything. <laughs> uh, but he had never been there as a young adult. Uh, he'd only been there when he was 12, when I was, I took him there once. So it was, you know, you got to do that. You know, that's what part of the, part of being a young man. Is. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's sweet. But it makes you kind of lonely on the holiday, huh? I, I've been, I did the same thing. You know, it's about adventure and where the hormones lead you. And I get it. <laughs> I'm not shocked. I used to do the same thing with my parents. <laughs> Um, well, I just got an email that says, screenwriter sues Hollywood agents, alleges racial, yeah. sexual discrimination. Did you just get that, too? Yes, I saw that. I don't know what that 
could possibly be. Uh, I always regard any uh, claims by a screenwriter of being discriminated against or being treated badly or unfairly. Or, um, the really good screenwriters never, it never seems to really happen to them. Um, the ones that have a beef against the way the system is, they feel they have screwed over, it usually means that they're, they lack the, uh, the, 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 you know, the, that canniness, that <coughs> ability to sort of handle yourself in the, in the, in the rough waters. Um, uh, I haven't really read the, the guy's name, Jesse Samuel. Well, it's funny to me because it's ironic. It's actually, what he's saying is that blacks don't get hired, but he's actually wrong about that because of black people, whatever, I should be more politically correct. Um, he's saying it's only, and it is, it's dominated by white people, but when a good black screenwriter comes along, they can do really well because there are so few of them. Uh -huh. um, but he's, his <clears throat> press release reads like one long whine. Yeah. He's like, I tried to break in for nine years. I've sent out hundreds, if not thousands, of query letters. Major production companies always respond by saying that you need an agent to submit them. Major agencies say they don't accept unsolicited communications, and that the only way they would consider you as a major player is if the industry referred you. They want you to have the social skills and the uh, just the social instincts of any good player in this town. They want to someone to refer you to to recommend you, and mm. they don't want to take the responsibility of, of you know. Well, if I had one word of advice for this guy, yeah, <clears throat> because he does say here that. He says, mm -hmm. the film industry is entirely closed. To get read by a major producer or studio, your work must be sent, sent by an agent. Oh, and I just read that part now. Cut yeah. it out. Uh. Now he says, um, <coughs> the major white male players tend to recommend people they are, uh, who are their good friends, which apparently rarely include non-whites. Uh -huh. More white women are able to get in than non-whites, but even they don't have the access that white males do. Yeah. Um, he says, a proof of his writing skills, he graduated from Cornell University with a bachelor's in history, and he minored in English and writing classes. He's done screenwriting workshops on the side. He should sue them for their money back. But my work mm -hmm. has no chance of even being considered by a Hollywood talent agency as I am not on the inner circle of the industry um, whose support I would need for an industry referral. This is nepotism and racism at its worst. Yeah. Yes, I assume I'd, I'd succeed in screenwriting if not for the alleged discrimination. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell him he should find a different job. He yeah. should start blogging is what he should do. He should write a book called This is Why You'll Never Sell a Screenplay in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know, the, the, the Hollywood film industry is kind of like high school. You've got to run with the cool kids. Uh, you're not going to get the, the, the hot trailer if, by being the nerd guy who's really brilliant but uh, kind of shy. You know, It never works like that. So. Mm -mm. Now it's a dirty business. I mean, if yeah. you're in it, you have to accept that fact of it. You know, it's yeah. just a dirty, horrible, rotten business. And yes, people play unfairly. They do. That's how it works, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, is this the anyway. world's most boring podcast? <laughs> we certainly did uh, ramble on, didn't we? <laughs> but the uh, one, the two things I have looked look forward to uh, this week. Mm. I'm going to see finally after. <coughs> excuse me. A lot of other people have probably seen it. Uh, First, or at least I haven't heard that much. Is Horrible Bosses, which I uh -huh. have screening of tomorrow night, I believe, uh, all media. And um, that, I, by the way, the Red Band trailer, it made it look uh, more inviting. It seemed a little, uh, uh, a little more cynical, a little funnier. Uh, it didn't seem to hit the obvious beats. It, it, it included more dialogue. Um, I just kind of got an idea. It's gonna, it might be good. Hmm. So. And that's the all media tomorrow. Yeah. 
And then I'm going to also talk to the great Errol Morris about his uh, uh, really interesting documentary that everybody saw in Toronto last September uh, called Tabloid. About mm. a, uh, oh, great. You know, long involved thing of a, we can't get into now, but basically about a woman who kidnapped her Mormon boyfriend and uh, sexually uh, assaulted him uh, as he was tied to a bedpost for like three days as a way of cementing their relationship and getting him back. Wow. And, uh, pretty good, pretty good story. Pretty, oh. pretty yeah, amazing. That sounds great. So next week we'll talk about Horrible Bosses, which I will also try to see. Oh, great. You going to go there? Not to that, probably, oh. but I'll go to just see it in the theater. Oh. And um, mm. then make sure to ask Errol Morris how he likes Twitter, because he Twitters all the time. So Yeah, he does. Yeah. <clears throat> Why are you going to go? You don't think Tasha will like it? To, to uh, not her type of movie? Or? You mean Emma? Um, no, I... That's the second wrong name I've <laughs> I think you're no, just tired sorry. today. It's, it's, it's a lazy day. <laughs> um, no, it's probably just... It's not going to be convenient for me to go, but um, I'll see it in the theater. Doesn't it open on the 7th? Yeah. Yeah, so I can see it that way. Uh, um, okay. Well, um, very nice hearing from you. I'm glad you had a great time in, yeah. uh, at Yosemite. It made me want to um, uh, uh, try and go back sometime. I haven't been there since the kids were like eight or nine. So You should go, but don't go on a weekend if you go in the summertime. Just make sure you go during the week because the weekends are a nightmare. Cra yeah. Really long lines of cars, traffic, you know, awful. Something you would really hate. And if you go to the nearby, whatever they call it, the, the, the lodge, they do have Wi-Fi there. You can get online if you... Yeah, it's really nice, actually. They didn't have this the last two years I went, but if you go to Curry Village, they have a, they've built a little comfortable lodge, which is like a library, and inside they have um, cards you know, and, and board games and tables yeah. and chairs and a fireplace mm -hmm. and free Wi-Fi. Oh, nice. Okay. And it's really incredible. So when it rained our first day, there were families in there playing cards. It was really mm. sweet, you know. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, good, Sasha. Um, okay. Good to hear you and, um, and, and uh, have a happy uh, time in Ojai today. Okay. You too. Enjoy the depressing holiday. <laughs> okay. I will. <laughs> okay. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. You've been listening to episode 39 of Oscar Poker with Jeffrey Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, and special guest Robert McNamara, who writes the 19th century uh, history blog on About.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Oscar Podcast. And the music today was A 40 Day Dream by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros, and America by razor light thanks for listening what a drag it is the shape i'm in well i go out somewhere then i come home again a lot of cigarettes i can't get no sleep there's nothing on the tv nothing on the radio that means that much to me all my life watching america Yesterday was easy, happiness came and went I got the movie script, but I don't know what it meant 
I light a cigarette cause I can't get no sleep There's nothing on the TV, nothing on the radio that means that much to me There's nothing on the TV, nothing on the radio that I can believe in All my life, been watching America All my life, this panic in America Trouble in America In America 